we've got a review of Turning Red and the story behind the story behind the story of how that film got made. All of this and more. So let's get ready to dial up, log on, and download. Welcome. Welcome to Download. I'm the host, Joe Scott. It's St. Patty's Week, but rather than have a beer in a pub, I'm sitting here in my office talking with you folks uh, late into the night here <laughs> in North Carolina. So the question of the day, obviously, is where is the new episode? Um, a couple of days ago, we made an announcement. Uh, we had some technical issues, and our team needed time to resolve it. Uh, facing that situation, I could have been a tyrant and made them stay up working late into the night um, at the expense of their personal and professional lives, or I could just give them the time to take care of it. And so that's what I chose to do. The story of Ain't It Cool News is the story of a lot of things. And one of them is of a company and an industry that did not respect the labor and the time of its employees. And, you know, as I create this story and, and learn its lessons, that that's one that I can't shake. Um, that's essentially what it is. If you don't like that, I apologize. If you're angry, again, I'm sorry uh, that this free podcast that you enjoy or maybe don't enjoy uh, isn't coming out when you would like it to come out, but that's just uh, where we are. But um, at any rate, I thought today would be a great day to uh, release a special episode in honor of something that happened, you know. Uh, one of the things we've explored in this first season of Download is the effects that the internet has had on cinema culture. And I think one of the things that has happened is that when movies come out, they're kind of just greeted in a, a wash of hype. You know, everyone just hypes a film up as being one of the greatest films ever made. You know, we saw that happen with Batman last week. We see that happen every time that Marvel releases a film. But last week, a film came out and uh, rather than getting washed in a sea of hype, it was greeted by opinions, <laughs> a, a maelstrom of opinions, a lot of um, uh, ideas about the film that were with odds with each other. You know, there were people that loved the film. Um, most critics, in fact, loved the film, but there were a lot of people that didn't. And one critic in particular, uh, Sean O'Connell, hated this film and he got drug on the internet because of it. Um, there have been people who love the film and it, it, the way it sort of brings representation to the forefront of um, an animated feature. And then there's people who also dislike the film because they think that it's propaganda that encourages children to disobey their parents. And of course, I'm talking about the Pixar film Turning Red, which um, I saw, I, I caught a screening of a couple of weeks ago and I thought it was a fantastic movie. And then uh, once I started to see the discourse, at first I was a little dismayed, but then I kind of changed my mind, honestly. You know, and I want to make one thing clear. I seriously disagree with the comments that Sean O'Connell made uh, about not being able to see himself in this film and therefore finding the film to be tedious or exhausting. I, I forget what exactly he said, but I disagree with that. Film is an empathy machine. Um, that's a paraphrase of Roger Ebert. But I think that, you know, I'm not trying to see myself in every film. Uh, it would be boring films because 
I uh, sit around my house and don't do a whole lot of shit very often. What I'm really trying to see in films are characters and to see them fully realized and to see texture and ideas and beauty. And I feel like Turning Red brought all of those things. It's a, a, a delightful film. And so rather than kind of just drag Sean O'Connell for his take, which a lot of people on social media have, not only social media, but then also uh, on a lot of legitimate news outlets, including NBC News and NPR.org. Uh, people uh, are, are coming out knives out for him. And, you know, I actually know Sean personally. Uh, he's a North Carolina film critic. I've met him at a few of the screenings I've attended in the past. And uh, he was always a pleasant, nice guy. It's just that even then, we've always disagreed on a lot of films. Our opinions are very different from each other. I think another interesting thing about Sean is that uh, he was a newspaper film critic who lost his job in The Great Purge, which we covered in our last episode, The Ghosts of Neil Comston. And so, you know, his role at Cinema Blend is, is kind of a pivot where he's, you know, trying to follow this other avenue, the, the internet movie geek boom, and, and make a go of that. I think that the way that he expressed his opinions about the film were unfortunate, uh, very insensitive. Beyond that, I thought it'd be great to talk to someone who loved the film. So I reached out to a film critic named Ruth Baramis, um, who reviewed the film for her website. And uh, she liked the film and she had some thoughts to share about it. Uh, we also shared our list of our favorite Pixar films. Beyond that, I, th I thought it'd be a great idea to talk to someone who was very close to the production of this film, Erica Milsom, who is a filmmaker who created a documentary titled Embrace the Panda, The Making of Turning Red. It dropped uh, the same day that Turning Red did on Disney+. And, you know, it's it could have just been a making of documentary. I find the making of animated films to be very fascinating. It's painstaking work, and you're oftentimes you know, coordinating the creativity and efforts of hundreds of people to make these things. But uh, rather than just focus on the making of, Erica did something very interesting. She made a movie that sort of chronicled the lives of these women who made the film. And I thought it was such an interesting profile. And so um, I reached out to her and she was definitely happy to talk. And so we had a conversation with her as well. So we'll be playing a both of these interviews, a couple of quick housekeeping reminders. Again, we've got the episode that was scheduled for the 17th coming out on the 21st. That is episode six in uh, the rise and fall of Harry Knowles and Anna Cool News. And then uh, we're going to be running our comments section that following Friday instead of the Thursday, just to give people time to digest <laughs> the episode and, uh, to give us their opinions, feedbacks, questions, things like that. And then after that, we're going to go into a hiatus. And um, the reason we're going for the hiatus, I've said this before, is because um, I learned some new information, something that kind of gives a whole new context to the ending of the story we're trying to tell. And rather than ignore it, I, I really wanted to pursue this angle. And uh, it, it will take time. But I think it will be worth it in the end. And uh, I look forward to, uh, to remaking and, and recontextualizing the story that we've told in this new light. And uh, I, I hope you'll enjoy it. But um, in the hiatus period, my goal is to present you with a lot of bonus content. This will include uh, 
interviews of which we've only presented excerpts so far. Uh, we've also got a few people that I would like to talk to who are part of the Ain't It Cool News story that uh, I really just couldn't fit in the narrative that we're telling this year. But, uh, you know, I still would like to talk to them all the same. And I think that this could be a good opportunity to do that. Uh, one more thing. Uh, we've had some people reach out to us asking if we are interested in telling more stories about the internet. And the answer to that is yes. So if you do have a story that you think would be worth exploring on our show, uh, we'd love to hear it. We're going to go ahead right now and jump into my conversation with Ruth Maramis. So here we go. Welcome to Download. I'm your host, Joe Scott. And with me is a special guest. We have film critic Ruth Maramis, who's a film critic for the blog FlixChatter.net. Welcome to the show, Ruth. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, you know, I wanted to bring you on the show because uh, you, I saw that you reviewed the movie Turning Red. And I sort of want to set up the way I saw this film. So the film was directed by this woman named Domi Shi. And I first saw her film Bao. It played in front of a movie. And I remember I saw this film. You know, and Pixar, they, they always make really good short films. Sometimes the short mm -hmm. films rival the feature. Sometimes they're better than the feature. But this film did something very unique. I was, I was sitting and watching this film, and it's a story about this mom and her son who is a dumpling. And I don't want to spoil too much. Actually, I'm going to spoil a lot. <laughs> but uh, she, <laughs> I'm sure people have seen it by now. Yeah. If you haven't seen it by now, too bad. It's like two minutes long and it's great. You should have watched it. But um, she gets really mad at her son and she eats him. And when this happened in the theater, there was just an audible gasp. You could, I, and I haven't heard something like this in probably more than a decade. Everyone was just like, <gasps> and it just broke so many rules and norms of what, you know, these short animated films are supposed to be. A lot of these films sort of feel like almost like greeting cards, you yes. know, and, mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and this one kind of just came at you knives out with a real story about like what family is like, you know, and then Domi got this feature that was being produced by Pixar turning red. And, uh, you know, we started seeing ads for it. And my kid who was five, she was pumped to see it she was like this looks awesome mm -hmm. i want to see this and you know we saw posters and everything and then two weeks before the movie came out people started having very strong opinions about this movie mm -hmm. and there again you know like i think a lot of people like pixar films i think here lately we maybe have even been taking them for granted because of all the sequels and everything but this movie people are discussing this film I don't want to say on the same level as uh, Martin Scorsese's The Last Temptation of Christ, but it, it seems to be bringing a lot of opinions out and a lot of them aren't positive. But, you know, I appreciate that there's just a strong discourse about this film. Mm -hmm. And I saw your review of the movie and I, I thought you you had some really good points. So what did you think of this movie? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I actually wasn't even uh, anticipating it because I think they pulled it out of the release calendar, you know, for theatrical release. So I, I that's the first time I got wind of it. And I was blown away and, and in a positive way because, you know, because of the Asian representation part of it, you know, I'm from Indonesia originally and I've been living here, you know, 
over almost three decades now in the US, but you know, I'm still obviously still an Indonesian and I identify with the character that's being portrayed as a Chinese, you know, Canadian, I think, um, Malin. And so it kind of makes me feel a little bit nostalgic about my own upbringing. But, um, but yeah, generally it's very entertaining. It's, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a cute movie, but it also has some teachable moments like most Pixar films are. So, so yeah, I respond very positively towards the movie. Were you big into boy bands? Well, when I was 13, I was not, not anymore. I think after I turned 16, I kind of stopped liking any boy bands. In fact, I, I since, since then, I never actually care for any boy band since then. But yeah, when I was 13, 13 to 15, I think I used to be into New Kids on the Block. So, you know, and then you, um, but yeah, so that part of it, I think was, was, um, spot on i'm sure a lot of kids these days are still into boy bands as well you know what direction is or whatnot so yeah so i feel like they capture that precocious that type time of their someone's life where everything is just exciting and you know (laughs) so yeah i thought that's what the one of the one of the things that Domishi brought to the film is mm-hmm. it wasn't just that we saw a movie where these girls were obsessed with this boy band called Four Town. Um, mm-hmm. It really showed the way they looked at the band. They used animation to show the way this this would feel to these characters, the way these characters looked, where they focused. You know, so many films are concerned with a male gaze. You know, and I appreciate that this movie kind of flip that script and let you see like this is what cute boys look like to these characters you know and and to really show you you know what they were obsessed with and I I thought that was awesome yeah and I think it's pretty realistic I I you know I mean I you know I don't have kids myself but I have um, I'm pretty close to my friend's preteen kids you know I think when she was 13 or you know she was also into boy bands and things like that so I think it's pretty I would say accurate representation of, um, you know, of, of what preteen girls would be into. And mm-hmm. they do it in such a way that's kind of funny, but it's also moving, right? That's, you know, celebrating friendships and things like that. So there's a lot of positives uh, that I see in this movie, you know? So, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, people always respond differently to different things, but. For me personally, you know, as an entertainment piece, it's it works, but it also it you know gets me kind of nostalgic about my own life. So yeah, so it's it's yeah, it's great. Once the critic reviews came out, there was one particular review that caught a lot of people's attention. It was written by a, a gentleman named Sean O'Connell for Cinema Blend. So Sean said, and I quote, mm-hmm. Yeah, some some Pixar films are made for a universal audience. Turning yep. red is not. Yes. The target audience feels very specific and very narrow. If you're in it, this might work well for you. I am not in it. This was exhausting, end quote. And I guess I wanted to know what it was like for you to read that. Well, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, I, that's why I mentioned in my review, um, you know, it, that is kind of like a, a little bit of a hint to his review and other people who have read that review saying that, um, you know, uh, for me personally, I'm used to seeing um, films that are, you know, um, even though the protagonist doesn't look like me, 
or or that it, I'm not the target audience, I, I can still appreciate it for what it is. I'm, you know, I'm used to it because most films are usually made for, you know, a demographic that don't look like me. So I'm pretty, you know, I, I was kind of like, oh, well, you know, that's too bad. But at the same time, I was a little bit miffed, you know, I was kind of like, really, you know, it, it's kind of like, it's so rare that we see first like a female protagonist, you know, being portrayed in such a way, you know, like in a positive light, you know, a, and then a, a preteen girl, but this is Asian. So it's, it's, it's even more, uh, you know, kind of specific, but at the same time, the universe, the themes are still universal. I yeah. feel like you can still, you know, try to put yourself in someone's shoes, but that takes, that takes a little bit of uh, Just having empathy. Know, Yes, having empathy, because it's, of course, not every movie is going to be made for you, but I can appreciate things that have nothing to do with my background, nothing to do with me as a woman or as an Asian woman, I can appreciate them just the same. And <laughs> so to me, that is a very curious, um, um, you know, review and says a lot about that person, you know, I, I'm kind of like, you know, I don't have anything against this person, but that now it kind of makes me think, oh, wow. Okay, um, so it, it, it kind of discouraged, you know, maybe other filmmakers or you know people studios that see this or hear this. It's like, ooh, you know, maybe I, sh you know, we should make more films about white people. You know, I don't know, even though they're already. <laughs> I mean, you know, I feel like we got enough of them about us, <laughs> for sure. But, you know, I don't know. I feel like someone in his position should use that platform for, you know, better representation, but. Absolutely. Whatever, you know? <laughs> well, you know, like, so the film is about an Asian girl from Canada who loves mm -hmm. boy bands, has a Tamagotchi and turns into a red panda, a giant red panda. And, you know, I have only one of those things in common with the main character. I'll let you guess which one. But I thought <laughs> I thought that I thought the movie did a great job of putting you in the perspective of this character and to let you know the way they looked at the world. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what I need for a movie. I, I don't need to see myself in a movie. I need to see the character and, and to know who they are and, and what's important to them. And I thought this film did such a great job of doing that. Yeah, exactly. And and to me, just in anything, right, you you kind of benefit to learn something you know even if you can glean something from something from uh, a film that has nothing to do with you that's very different from your part of you know like your upbringing or things like that but you can still kind of appreciate it for what it is and maybe learn something new from it so so yeah I mean I think this is top-notch Pixar in my mind you know in terms of you know the the message but also the visual you know like the 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 effects and everything was just gorgeous you know it's like yeah it's a well-crafted um film all around absolutely so, yeah you know i thought that that review that sean o'connell wrote too it sort of speaks to one of the main themes of the narrative story that i'm telling this year which is what happens to film culture when a group of mostly white, mostly male internet movie geeks and fanboys take over film culture? You know, this is especially after the time when all the newspaper film critics were laid off. And, you know, I feel like it really has affected the discourse around movies where films made with the perspectives of women in mind 
or with or with women as main characters are oftentimes ignored or sometimes in the worst instances they are they're mm-hmm. regarded caustically like they attract a lot of negative hateful reactions like why are you making movies about women we want this is just social justice warrior bullshit and <laughs> i it it's a terrible time really it and yeah. it, it's led to a lot of just sameness and even when they make movies about women as main characters like a lot of the marvel films that center on on women perspectives i felt like they were kind of just dull and boring and formulaic you know i'm glad mm-hmm. that i'm glad that pixar made turning red i thought it was a fantastic movie with with just a really great perspective and as you said it, it was just gorgeously crafted it's a beautiful film mm-hmm yeah, no, I, I mean, just to kind of um, piggyback on what you said there, because you, it's, you know, I feel like Pixar is quite bold in allowing someone like Dom Shi to, you know, it's almost like she kind of had full reign into what she wanted to say. And I think I see Pete Doctor is one of the executive producers. And I, you know, he's made, you know, the ins- uh, Inside Out and um, Soul. And I feel like it's kind of in line with what he's like telling something about the human psyche but doing it in a fun entertaining way and i think that's what you know this turning red does as well too it's 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 it looks frivolous and silly and you know uh, you know comedic but at the end of the day the 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 story is 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 i think is empowering for young girls when the movie came out the audience response got a little heated as well you had conservative moms who were complaining that this film teaches girls to disobey their parents and as someone who grew up watching a lot of movies when he was a kid almost every movie i watched when i was a kid about kids mm-hmm. was about them disobeying like home alone right the goonies et yeah. like these because kids disobey yeah, yeah that's because- life that's life it's it's uh, have you ever you know you know met or had a kid that was like uh, obey every single thing you tell them to do that's no nope. that's 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 very inaccurate like uh, that's a fantasy land like you know it's like i don't that's why i'm confused like with this criticism and then someone on twitter and i can't remember who it was i wish i had saved it but she was um um saying she was basically starting a thread of every single disney films that has you know the character disobeying their parents and it's pretty much all of them you know like you know sleeping beauty or or um well uh, little mermaid is the one that came to mind because yes yeah, she obviously disobeyed the parent and become another another species you know like forget even like <laughs> wanting to be oh i, I want to go to this all she you know maylin wanted to go do was just go to this concert and she raised money herself so she didn't like want to be it, it's, it's I, to me that's extreme for, for to have that reaction but you know if if suddenly your your kid wants to be a mermaid i think you would be a little worried so you know like this mermaid wants to be human you know so to me that's that's the ultimate being disobedient but yet nobody seems to mind about that when it came out everybody's just like oh beautiful songs and all that you know what i mean so to me like why are you scrutinizing this particular one where to me it's much more true to the actual human experience yeah you know 
you yeah. know, if, if this kid were, I'm just trying to think like if this kid were uh, a white Toronto kid, you know, like a regular, you know, white kid, then would the discussion be this passionate, you know, with, you know, would this be an issue? It, yeah. You know, I was curious. Well, you know, if only my kid doesn't do everything I tell them to do. Mm -hmm. If only my kid was disobedient in this way, where they created this whole entrepreneurial enterprise, they're, they're trying, they make almost a thousand dollars, you know, as sort of a side hustle after school. Mm -hmm. And, um, wow, just so much hustle, hustle, so much initiative. It's like, you're going to probably rule the world, little kid. Like, yeah, it's exactly. amazing. Yeah, usually exactly. like instead of celebrating that, you know, yeah. they were like all up in arms about it. I'm like, mm, this kid is quite creative. <laughs> yeah, like so. you know, Home Alone when that kid disobeys his parents, he destroys his whole house. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Mamin didn't do any of that. It's, no. it's, <laughs> it's really imbalanced. You know, there there was actually another parent though, and, and this sort of popped up today. Another parent was upset. This this time it's a dad. Okay. The dad said, I watched Turning Red with my boys this weekend. Okay. Boys ages 9 and 13. They had tons of questions regarding girls and their periods. Frowny emoticon. I wish there had been a warning before watching it with them. Anyone else? And I'm just like... Well, right. maybe have a discussion with the kids. I don't know why... Great opportunity. complaining, it, it's like maybe you do have a discussion because... It happens to half of the world's population. There it's, are women in your life that are going to do this. Exactly. It's like, that's what if, you know, it, and it's something that, you know, you would have to encounter at some point in your life, you know, whether it's your girlfriend, wife or whatnot. So it's just, I mean, why not have that discussion, take that opportunity. And if you don't know, maybe ask the mother or someone yeah. in there, you know, if they don't, you know, if he's a single dad, maybe an auntie or something. I don't know. It, it, it's, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was, I guess, a teachable moment uh, for some people. But again, I'm glad it's there in a movie. I'm glad that, that as my kid grows up watching this movie, she's already watched it like eight times. But as she's, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she loves this film. It's as cute, she grows yeah. up watching mm -hmm. this movie, she's going to, understand it and appreciate it in other ways which you know i think mm -hmm. is great you know i i did the same there's a movie called stand by me which is about mm -hmm. four disobedient boys who oh yeah that's a classic. go on an adventure find mm -hmm. a dead body and as i get older i come and re-experience that film in different ways and i think mm -hmm. that this film has the same potential in some ways I think so too. Yeah, exactly. Down the road, I think people were appreciated. You know, maybe they look at the discussion and hopefully someone will be like, oh my gosh, I was actually, you know, how could I be upset about something like this? You know, I don't know. I'm, again, I'm, I'm hoping that would be the reaction down the line. But um, but yeah. yeah. It's <laughs> well, you know, it's real art and, and, and art is provocative. Art mm -hmm. makes people yes. have reactions. And I think that Domi, she, she did that with a two minute short film with Bao. And I think she's done that again with her feature film debut. And I, mm -hmm. I hope mm -hmm. she gets to continue making movies. Where do you see this film in the Pixar canon? You know, um, I, that's a good question that I, 
right now I feel like it's kind of this question is probably better to post like maybe in a, a couple of years yeah. because right now I mean I kind of rank it pretty highly I think it's you know maybe top one of the top 10 picks are you know simply because of um you know just balancing the message the positive you know body positivity that kind of thing with something that's really fun and cute you know yeah but at the same time you know Pixar has a ton of really really good movies so I mean it's you know things like Finding Nemo it's still you know something that I, you know, I can watch and just be in awe with you know what I mean Toy Story like the first the first Toy Story I mean so right now I think it is in my top 10 but again it asked me in a few years I don't know it's definitely the best in the last oh, five years I would say because I think didn't they just do Onward that's Pixar right Onward yeah yeah, yeah that no. one is it's good, but I don't think it's as good as this. And I, Luca is definitely Pixar light in my mind. It's entertaining. It's not really as deep as, you know, I would have liked it from Pixar. There were parts of Luca I enjoyed, but I, I agree with you that this is probably the best Pixar film of this post John Lasseter period. You know, oh, when- that's a good way of putting it. Yes, definitely. I, I think mm-hmm. that the the studio has finally found its way and i think more important than that i think this is their most expressive and efficiently told story it tells its entire story in an hour and 40 minutes and that that's something that few movies this year have done movies oh have my just gosh. been so long oh. um they're yeah, not able I can, to test I can have a podcast just on that alone <laughs> <laughs> like the batman as much as i love it does not need to be 3 hours long the batman is two turning reds long Yes, exactly. Real quick here, since I got you here and we're talking about Pixar films, um, I wanted to rank your top three Pixar films. And you can you could share your list and then I'll share mine. And, and we can start with our number threes and we'll kind of just go back and forth. So what's sure. what's your number three favorite uh, okay. Pixar film? So I'm, I'm actually looking at my top 10 Pixar characters. Oh, so I'm going gonna, I'm nice. gonna to look at that. I would say number three, Finding Nemo. Finding Nemo. A lot of people's favorite. Number three. Yes. What What did you like so much about Finding Nemo? Oh, my gosh. It's just, I mean, the, again, the world, underwater world that they built is just insanely beautiful. I just rewatched it not that long ago. I think uh, last year. And I was just like, just, I just want to be lost in that world. It's just gorgeous. But then the, the, you know, father and son moments, and then Dory and <laughs> Dory's just so cute and funny. I mean, it's again, it's it's one of those. I mean, it's relatable somehow. I can relate to these fish. Even though, again, they're fish, but you can still relate to them. Yeah. And, um, I yeah. I just think you know, and and you know, Dory becoming eventually become his best friend. Uh, what is his name? Um, the dad. Um... I think. I forgot okay. his name. Nemo's I know, dad. right? <laughs> Albert Brooks. He's Albert actor, Brooks. He's he's really uh, put to great use in the film, though. I, I loved Albert oh, Brooks' right. voice work in the film. Amazing, exactly. But I think that that dynamic between the two of them, you know, they didn't really, he didn't care for Dory at first, but then they now can't live without each other. They just, you know, so I think that's a sweet 
kind of moment of, of you know, trusting strangers, you know, tra trusting someone that you don't normally, you know, want to be friends with initially, you know what I mean? Like not judging them too, too quickly. Yeah. So, so yeah, I love Finding Nemo. Well, so um, my number three, and this is going to mm -hmm. sound crazy, and maybe it's recency bias, but my number three favorite Pixar film of all time is mm. Turning Red. It has Ooh. texture. It's one of the things I love about a movie is textures, just bringing a, a whole visual quality to a story mm -hmm. and, and really putting characters in a place at a time. And, you know, you watch the film and in the first minute of the film, you, you said like, oh, wait, we're not even in the modern day. We, we are specifically in a different time, mm -hmm. um, the early 2000s. We are specifically in this other country. And, you know, we're, we're dealing with this young girl and her very unique culture. And, you know, beyond that, I would say it was also a love letter to many different types of animation. You had references to everything from Studio Ghibli to Tex Avery when, uh, when Mei Mei is standing in front of that store and sees that cute boy. She starts to act like that, like, horny wolf from, uh, yes. from yeah. the old droopy cartoons. Mm -hmm. Like, I was like, that's right. That is hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I think beyond that, like I said, as a like a true piece of art, it has provoked a lot of wildly diverse and strong opinions. And I just appreciate that for a minute there, people were talking about a movie, you know, not not a show, not a video game. People were having a conversation about film. And you yeah, know, even that's, if that's I'm glad point. it's there. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what's your number two? Number two, um, okay, well, I think right now, again, I, I feel I made this list like years after I saw the film. So, you know, ask me again in a year or two, I may change my mind. Um, but right now my number two is Brave, okay. which also is a female protagonist. Um, yeah, I, I, again, I like, um, I like anything from the UK. So I'm, that's, that's, you know, anything UK movies and this one's Scottish. And I just think it's just, you know, it makes me want to go there. It, it's very escapist. You know, it has that escapism factor, you know, like you want to be lost in that world again. And yeah. uh, even though, yeah. It, and even though Merida is Scottish, Scottish girl, you know, nothing at all like me. But I can relate to her. The the three twin, what is it, triplets are just hilarious. I literally almost passed out from laughing when I saw it in the theater. It was just so funny. And, you know, again, she's about talking about being disobedient. She was, you know, very rebellious kid, but she knows herself. And, you know, she, so I, I, I just think she's, you know, I, I think it's kind of underrated. An interesting piece of history about Brave too is it was going to be the first Pixar film directed by a woman. I know Brandon that's Chapman, sad. and, and then they did... took it they took it away from her. Right. You know, and that, yeah. that was sort of maybe I don't want to speculate too much. I don't know the story behind it, but it did feel like maybe it was a casualty of the old regime. And yes, you know, it sort of seemed to be the way they treat a lot of women filmmakers, where mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. they, they can't have an opinion. They're so opinionated and they use the word, they use this word and it's such a loaded, crazy word. They say they are hysterical. Oh, and yeah. uh, I, I don't know if they actually use that about Brenda, but they've used that about a lot of women directors who've been taken oh gosh, off of their horrible. movies, who've lost yeah. control of their movies. And um, I, I know 
that a lot of people were really pumped that this was going to be the first Pixar film directed by a woman. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, they were literally advertising on that fact. And they're like, uh, actually, we took it away from her. Oh, my. That's sad. I know. Yeah, well, at least, I mean, it still has a little bit of her touches in there, I'm, I'm sure, because, you know, she was involved quite extensively. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, um, that is sad. <laughs> I, you know, I, I actually was going to say, oh, is this a second film, you know, by women because, because of Brave. And then I read, it's like, no, never mind. No, this is the first one because they fired her. Um, Domi, yeah, she no. is, is the first. She, yeah. So exactly. Domi, she is, is technically the first because she got credited up all the way <laughs> until yeah. it's completed. Yeah. Um, so how about you? What's your number two? So my number two is a Pixar film I've only seen once. And I will only watch it once. I'm never going to watch it again. Oh, but, really? uh Toy Story is... 3. Oh, I can see why you don't want it's, to see it again. It's a story of life, death, mm, yes. and reincarnation. It's a brutal film. It, it is. It is savage. That's deep. You mm. know, when they bring the toys to the daycare center and the kids just start tearing them apart. Oh, my gosh. That is, and yeah. then. You know, yeah. not to mention the scene where they're all about to be incinerated and they sort of close their eyes and resign themselves to the fact that they're going to die. Right. Uh, this was a, a very intense movie. Mm-hmm. It, it was gruesome. It was fearless. And it, it definitely got a response for me, but I'm only going to watch it once. And, you know, my kid has been watching a lot of Pixar films lately and we started with one, which she liked. We started with two, and then I just made the jump to four. I'm not. I'm not watching three again ever. Yeah, no, I, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a horror. Maybe that's the first Pixar horror movie. It was. It there was, there was a lot of. Mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely accurate to say it was a horror film, and <laughs> in a lot of ways, it was horrifying. Right. It but is. then also, you know, but uh, also very much sweet and and poignant and just amazing yeah i mean yeah again, that is um that is pixar's magic <laughs> well you know and then you get to the end when the toys are given to a new kid and she gives them all new identities and Aww. makes them all new people yes you know and i thought that too was it was just this great reincarnation of these characters we've known for so long and it would have been great if that was the last of the toy story films but they, i know they made four and I mean, I like four, but at the same time, I was torn. Like, they should just end it with the trilogy and just done with it. Why do they always have to, like, can they just, like, stop, you know, like, resist that urge of just monetizing every single more money yeah. <laughs> thing that you, <laughs> you have? But that's Disney. That's probably too much to ask. Yeah, you know, the, the uh, sort of the person who ran the business side of Pixar, he wrote a book about running a creative company called Creativity Inc., uh, which I read. And mm-hmm. he, he talked about how they sort of, the way their business model is working out now, they use the sequels, which the Pixar people have complained about. And he, he's candid about that. He's like, they don't like making the sequels, but they use the sequels to sort of fund the production of the newer ideas that you can't just keep oh. taking the risks of new ideas that you've got to sort of fuel the machine because you know these movies have production teams of of hundreds of people they've got to pay for their budget in this way and it, unfortunately that involves the sequels so i you know i'm i wouldn't be surprised if there's a toy story 5 but that original trilogy i think was uh was flawless and i thought pixar i thought toy story 4 was all right 
So, yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. All right. Number one time. What was your number one favorite Pixar film of all time? Okay. Um, it is without a doubt Monsters, Inc. I That's... absolutely love. I mean, just, I don't know. I just fell in love with Mike Wachowski. Or, I mean, uh, Wazowski, I think. Yeah, yeah, you got it right. Wazowski. Yeah, with the Z, Wazowski. It just, there's something about that movie that just, and I just rewatched it recently and it still holds up. It still makes me laugh and cry. And it just, yeah, I, it's, I didn't think it would be my number one, but it's, it's amazing. (laughs) And I still, even the supporting cast is great. And that's to me, a testament to Pixar that they just, they don't just, oh, you know, we're just going to make a few, you know, two, one or two characters that are great. And the rest are just like throwaways. No, like Roz. Oh my gosh. I still quote Roz from time to time. Um, He's like, I'm watching you. I don't want to find this her. You know, she's just, just, I, I just, I love every single one of those characters. And then I think it's my uh, Steve Buscemi plays the, um, I forgot what is. Yeah, the, the bad guy, the, yeah, the chameleon the lizard, lizard just monster. Hilarious. It just, I don't know. I, yeah, I love Mike Mazowski. It's just, <laughs> he's so adorable. Take I actually choice. had a toy. I had a toy, you know, Mike Wazowski a while back. And it's just like, yeah, it's too cute. I think that would have to be, that might be my kid's favorite one as well. Um, Mm. But uh, yeah. So, you know, my favorite of all the Pixar films, number one for me is Inside Out with uh, directed by Pete Doctor. Yeah. Who now he runs the machine, but I feel like this was just sort of this Charlie Kaufman film for kids. Yes. Explores the inner mind of, of humans and the the nature of our memories and our emotions. Mm-hmm. The film has so many brilliant moments, like the one scene where they talk about how we just info dump all the phone numbers. We don't remember anyone's phone numbers anymore. Mm-hmm. I was just so called out by that. And then the death of the imaginary friend and also the message that it's important to have good feelings and bad feelings. You know, going back to Turning Red, you know, there have been people who've had mm-hmm. great positive opinions about this film there's there have been people who've had negative and sometimes terrible opinions about this film but i'm just glad that there's emotion and that people are reacting Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's always exciting for me and uh you know i i really loved inside out um and i i love it especially more now as uh the parent of a kid you know and watching my kid developing their emotions yes Yeah, no, I I totally agree. It's that is probably one of the, you know, kind of deepest, you know, like almost adult, like very mature, you know, um, animated films that that, you know, tackles a lot of things that even live action films don't dare to go, you know what I mean? Like, it's very deep and emotional. And, you know, I just and, and I think that's interesting that you brought up, like, you know, as you as being a dad, like you appreciate it a lot more. And I think people, you know, de- depending on your own background, like how you respond to something are completely different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I, I think for me, when I see Pixar's, I, I knew it's, it's not going to be just funny, silly, you know, cute characters, but there's going to be something deep that we can learn from and that's 
you know, I feel like they they kind of hold up, you know, with 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 this latest one. You know what I mean? Like it's not just cute and whatever, but there's something there that you can kind of learn from and and and, and take away. You know what I mean? As an adult, hundred so, percent. You know, in a way, they're kind of stuck doing a lot of work that studios can't with live action films these days. Live action films mm-hmm, have to be mm-hmm. made, you know, to to service these franchises and the you know and i think that pixar you know they definitely have franchise elements they've got to make the sequels you know the the cars sequels being maybe the worst example but yeah see I, that's the the worst trilogy in terms of pixar that i, I actually never watched those sequels yeah because i'm just like i just don't think i'll enjoy it so it's like why waste my time you know absolutely <laughs> But, yeah. you know, they use those films to then underwrite these films that that try to have something to say about what it's like to be alive. You know, it's your yeah. kids being entertained, but then you're being engaged as well. Engaged. Of- exactly. It's like to me, being entertained isn't just oh, cool visuals and cute characters, mm-hmm. but actually, you know, have something substantial for your brain as well to process. You know what I mean? So it's like, yeah. you know, that to me, that's good entertainment is having both. So, so yeah, good. I'm, uh, I'm glad you, you respond well and, and, um, you know, but at the same time, Hey, you know what? I, I'm not going to like suddenly cancel this Sean O'Connell person. It's like he made a faux pas and he, you know, I think he's apologized to it and just, we can just move on. You know what I mean? Like, you don't have to. Yeah. There are, there are people who are definitely, uh, continuing to roast him. And, and, uh, you know, I I think that's that's like. Come on, you know. Well, you know, and that gets to a greater point, which is are we defining ourselves by the things and the people that we love? Or are we defining ourselves by the things and the people that we we hate? Yeah. Well, that would and, be sad, wouldn't it? I mean, I don't want to be defined by people I hate. I mean, you and generally speaking, you don't want to hate somebody. Yeah, you know, you yeah, may, you may dislike something that they did that it's you know, it's abhorrent, obviously, certain things, but you know to hate he saw a movie and had an opinion exactly and you know whether should he have expressed it in that way probably not but hey you know what he's probably a decent guy in real life who knows you know so i've met him in person a few times and i can't say that he is typically a very nice genteel human being um you know just Mm -hmm. i don't agree with him about this movie right right exactly yeah and i'm sure he's sorry about it (laughs) he's probably like oh boy but maybe that's good that he makes him think about like okay next time i should be a little bit more sensitive so Mm -hmm. where can people find you online oh uh uh, flexchatter.net i post pretty regularly in fact i uh kind of just finished my review of deep water something completely different from turning red um, <laughs> and but yeah so I you know uh, again I, I post my reviews on Rotten Tomatoes so you can find me there as well but my blog is flixchatter.net all right well yes. thank you again for coming on and mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing your reviews in the future oh thank you Hey guys, it's Joe. I'm back again. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation with Ruth. Uh, next up, we have our conversation with Erica Milsom, who who I thought was just a really high energy personality. And I'm imagining that's kind of what you have to be if you're going to work at Pixar, <laughs> you know? And so 
I really enjoyed our conversation almost as much as I enjoyed her film. And so here she is uh, talking about how she made Embrace the Panda, the making of Turning Red. Here on Download, we have Erica Milsom, the director of the brand new documentary, Embrace the Panda, the Making of Turning Red. Welcome to the show, Erica. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. You know, so Embrace the Panda is as much of a personal documentary about the lives of the artists who made this film, uh, Turning Red, as it is a making of film. And I was wondering, how did you decide to make the film this way? What, what sort of inspired you to take this approach to telling this story? Oh, thank well, thank you for noticing, number one, because that was certainly super intentional. Um, you know, there were two inspirations. I'd say the first one is just that uh, several of these people are like my old friends from the studio. So I've known them. I admire the way they live, uh, you know, that we've grown up together at that studio. And uh, so I'm speaking about Lindsay and Danielle, who are like have been at the studio longer <laughs> and then uh Domi and Rona are these women that I've just been like yeah you know like I love watching them work and the way they rise and how they work together and have sort of just known them as friends uh, a little less personally so I just when I first came up with the idea of doing something for Turning Red I was like I want to be close to them I want to get an if they're willing, and I felt like I knew them all well enough, I could ask them, like, if they're willing to give us some access to their inner lives, I think it would be, first of all, just way more inspiring as a story for people from every walk of life who watch it. Like, I think when you can connect to someone's personal life, you can connect to so much more than just what they did or what they make. But it's sort of like you see yourself in them in so many different ways. So that was that was a big goal of mine to do that. And then honestly, the pandemic was, uh, we, we didn't have a way to get like beautiful footage. I don't know if you've seen Inside Pixar, but myself and my co-director, Tony Kaplan, we made Inside Pixar very intentionally with like lots and lots of like luscious, beautiful footage of the studio and the mm -hmm. artists there. And, you know, during a pandemic, that's not happening in the same way, right? Did you guys go dark in the studio? We, yeah, we were, um, Turning Red was made from the time the, you know, everybody went home in March of 2020, 2020? Yeah, 20, it's been 2019, years. 2019, oh, 2019. Oh, my God. Sorry, I'm terrible. I'm like, 2020, from the time everyone left you know, it went away in California, at least it shut down. Um, Turning Red was made mo a lot at home. So yeah, the studio wasn't super active and the work was happening in people's homes. So I just felt like this is, and then, you know, the other, just one other reason is that I knew that these women were all at different stages of life. And that if I wanted to tell a story about a woman filmmaker and about women's work, that you have a parent of teenagers, you have a parent of toddlers, you have a young woman, Domi, who's like, not a parent, she's a daughter, she's still very present in her daughter role in her yeah. life, you know, and then you have Rona, who I didn't know until I pitched it was just about to have her first child. And so it just, to me, I feel like it was like magical to get to show all these stages of life in this film. That, that was a, 
a really interesting point about the film. And, you know, going back to your first point too, you know, how we met, and this is interesting, and I don't want to touch on it for too long, but, you know, I, I had written this post on social media about how my daughter, who was only five years old, yes. she was watching this documentary with me and she was so mesmerized by uh, the story of these women who made this movie that she loved because I've got to say, you know, she loves animated movies. She loves video games. And one thing she's always asking me is who made this, who made this? Oh, oh, a lot, I love a lot that. of times it's a guy. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And with this, she saw these women and her first question was she, she saw Domashi was, is she still alive? And I was like, well, that's a weird <laughs> question to ask, but wow. yes, yes, she is. And then she said, I want to meet her. And I was oh, like, oh, I love that. It was very, it meant a lot to her that you showed her that, that these were the people who made the film. Well, and you know that, thank you. Cause that meant so much to me that you reached out. I was so grateful. Cause I, you know, you, you make a documentary to a company like a big, huge, beautiful animated film premiere. And you're like, I don't know who's going to watch this. I don't know what it's going to mean or whatever, but it means a lot to me. I love telling these stories. So when you reached out and told me the story of your daughter, it was really wonderful to hear that. It just made me so happy. And you know, this is something I think I really started to realize when I was making Inside Pixar, um, particularly covering Deanna Marzulese and uh, Jess um, Height, Jessica Height, that I hadn't seen a lot of like profile pieces on women doing the work where you see what the work is like, where you see their accomplishments, where you see their backstory, where you see what it takes to get where they're at. And then the specific way that they do their job. I just haven't seen a lot of, I've seen women in films before about filmmaking, but I haven't seen them as like the active creators as much as I would like to see. So kind of, I did those pieces for Inside Pixar and then I was like, oh yeah, I want to even push further in for Embrace the Panda. You know, because yeah. it is so inspiring and really honestly, you know, it's, it sometimes sounds cliche, but representation matters to who you see yourself as, right? The more folks you see doing something, the more you kind of have a, some, some idea of a path, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So when, when did you realize that Domashi had sort of emerged as this leader within Pixar? Because uh -huh. I, I feel like she yeah. has, she has really come up and I'm really excited to see what she's going to do next. Well, it's funny because Domi, um, I think when you first meet her, she's just got such a funny sense of humor and she's very uh, in herself. Like in this great way, there's not a lot of like deference or fear of speaking when I first met her. And I met her, I think probably when she was working on Inside Out, we interviewed her for a piece called The Women of Inside Out. And uh, so I kind of was like, oh yeah she's amazing and then she you know did these hilarious scenes with sadness she really did a lot with sadness <laughs> she loved oh, yeah. from inside out and so I knew that she was really talented as a story artist and then basically once you start hearing about bow and I think I probably shot some of the coverage of the bow making of a lot of times I get to know people just by shooting in the room like shooting video footage of them and I think just watching her direct that I was like oh yeah she's amazing <laughs> and then, you know, and then of course, I think the way that people become leaders, sometimes it's like, it has a lot to do with how they're showing up in the room on other people's projects, like on Inside Out or something you have 
someone notices that and then asks you what else you have to say, or you show them what else you have to say in the form of a short film that's like not necessarily um, one that the studio is making itself. Like we have a whole project called the co-op project where people can work on films in their after hours using you know, the studio's resources. Um, and I'm pretty sure Bao started out as a co-op project. Oh, so wow. Domi was just showing herself, you know, she was pursuing her storytelling before, you know, her sense of directing and her vision before it was something that was a Pixar project. Well, even from Bao, you know, I remember when that movie came out and you get to the scene mm-hmm. where the mom eats the dumpling <laughs> and the, the audience just gasped so loudly. Yes. I haven't heard that yes. in any movie, even, even like horror films, nothing. And, you know, she has this talent for making art that provokes people. And I, I think we've seen a lot of reactions to Turning Red. You know, a lot of yes. people have loved the film, but then people have had takes. People have had opinions about this movie on the level, not only beyond what we see of animated films, but a lot of films in general. And I guess what has the, that been like for you as someone on the inside to see all of these responses? Oh, my gosh. Well, I think it's wonderful. I mean, I think it's amazing when Pixar films provoke a conversation um, that stretches out so wide in the world. I mean, that's one of the powerful things about making a Pixar film is that so many people see it. So many people think about it. They have an opinion about it. They're interested in it. And I think um, not every film about like a girl's coming of age or, you know, sort of uh, magical puberty (laughs) there's probably smaller films that might have explored this but they probably haven't had as broad a conversation so I I think Domi's amazing I think she's brave I think she's funny I think she's interested in what she's interested in right also she's not um she doesn't think she shouldn't talk about those things right and I think that's kind of amazing because then the audience gets a chance to consider why they don't right um so I think it's been amazing to watch the conversation grow and expand and, um, you know, both, both questioning why you wouldn't want your kids to see this movie and celebrating why you would. Yeah. Well, you know, one, one response that was interesting to me was um, some, some moms have, have been in, up in arms saying that this is a film that teaches children to disobey. And I'm like, have, have you not watched any other movies with child (laughs) characters like the kids in et did not obey their parents the kids in home alone (laughs) did not obey their parents like harry potter he disobeys the adults in his life in every one of those movies like yeah 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 and and did they come out against that yeah it's weird it's an interesting thing how like i'm not quite sure why people would find this one so provocative i feel like she barely she barely disobeys and like she's She's a tween who wants to go to a concert. I mean, it's like, it's that funny moment when like uh, uh, people disobey, right? And telling great dramatic stories, you have to do something wrong to, <laughs> you know, to push the story along. It's kind of like, that's how they work. <laughs> like, yeah, just, yeah. I, I feel like that kind of drives the narrative, but um, yeah, yeah. And the way she disobeys too is by creating a business. That sounds like a great way to disobey. But, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But um, so I guess, you know, you made this film that, that it's the story of mothers and daughters. And, mm-hmm. you know, the film 
goes all the way to Canada to meet Domichi's mother. And were, were you there on that trip to meet her mom? No, this was hilarious. Like I actually had kind of been like, I guess we can, because of the pandemic, we definitely couldn't get into Canada. And then I, that was the first time that her parents interacted with people outside their home, I think, like oh, that wow. they didn't know because of the pandemic there, you know, people wanted to be really safe. And at that time it wasn't, you know, where we are right now with, it was vaccines were in place, but um, so I actually have to credit the, one of our production people from core studios, Kathy Chun, who was like, Hey, Erica, cause we had talked about flying there and all that stuff. She's like, well, wait a minute, what if we did a call and we got a Canadian crew and we recorded the call. And I was like, oh my God, that's such a great idea. You know, it was like, it wasn't my idea. Um, and Kathy is just a brilliant, Kathy is also a mom. She is a Korean American woman. And like, I think she really understood the power of that parent-child relationship in a way that she's like, let's not let it go. You know, you, just because we can't go doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. So she suggested that. And we went out and got um, Christina Ayana, who is a, a cinematographer in uh Vancouver Toronto I'm I'm sorry I'm not sure where in Canada she was she actually was the person who shot if you have seen Inside Pixar the episode on the film the short film out oh yeah about Steve Hunter so she's the one who shot um Stephen Hunter's comedian family and Stephen there so yeah she's great so she came out and she shot it was awesome and we just kind of hooked up that call um, and got that Canadian, super careful Canadian crew. I mean, honestly, this entire shoot was insanely careful, right? Because we wanted to make sure everyone was safe all the time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I guess one question I had is, you know, your film, it's obviously unique because it captures the story of Turning Red, which is, I believe the first Pixar film with this all female leadership team. Yeah. And then beyond that, you know, you're filming this during a pandemic, but did you notice at all that this production had a unique energy at all beyond those two factors? Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, it's funny because number one, that I really wanted to draw from the production design of Turning Red and like figure out how to capture the beauty and the vibrance and the energy of that film. Like I think Rona Liu is, I don't know, she's, she's like a genius. And she brought such a beautiful tone to the film. So I was like, oh, I want to capture that in our documentary and make sure that it's reflected there. But I also never wanted to diminish their work and make it feel juvenile. So I think like kind of coming at our whole production crew with that goal of saying like, hey, we're going to celebrate this like preteen coming of age film, you know, that's totally like pastel, and super colorful. We're going to celebrate that in our design, but we're going to amplify it and make sure it's always feels like respectful, mature, and, and, and conveys the power of their artistry and their leadership. Right. (laughs) So I think that that challenge for a production crew, people were like, oh yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) We just like, we had such a great time. All of the interview sets, except for Danielle, Danielle's is one that's actually right there in it, but all the interview setups are things that we had to we created a stage for we couldn't there was no space like that so we created um a room that we changed for all those interview setups to make sure that they reflected that color and space sensibility 
And oh, so nice. all of all of that's just like constructed with production design, right? And then um, the cinematographer, Mike Eppel, and uh, the production designer, Bronna Stone and Jackie, the production designers, uh, they really got together and like thinking about lighting, thinking about color. So it was, it was huge. That was like super, everybody loved that. And then when we got down to the editorial stage, um, you know, the home shoots were done. Most of those were done with a fairly small crew. Um, myself, I shot some of it and Jairo Cuevas, who's one of our in-house amazing cinematographers shot part of it. So we really kept that tiny. We didn't have, I guess we had like maybe a production person on some of it, but mostly it was just him and I. Um, and that was really fun. And he loved that. And, you know, it's just so intimate. It's so wonderful to watch people parent and work at home. And it just, it, it makes such a difference. You you know, when you get used to shooting people sitting in their offices at computers, like that difference of like being in someone's home space and, and how beautiful that is and, and how real it feels just turns any cinematographer on, you know, like we all love that. Yeah. But then in addition to that, when we got into editorial, I had this one direction because it was kind of, I knew it was going to be an ensemble piece. It was going to be hard to figure out the trajectory and the arc of it. But I was like, you guys, let's look for the sparkle. And we also made this pretty fast. So I logged some of it, the editor logged it, our assistant editor logged it. And I, I was, you know, we have these categories that we always track when, we're, when you're making a doc, you try and track categories so you can figure out like how things are organized, how you want to organize things and find um, footage. But Sparkle was this thing that we don't always track. And that was the driving force behind all of this. Like, where Define did you Sparkle. feel? What is, what is that? <laughs> for me, for me, Sparkle was like, where did they make you laugh? Where did they make you cry? Where did they surprise you? Where did you feel like blown away by the beauty of it? Where did you think like, oh my God, that shot, you know, like that shot. Like instead of the normal, like how did they make this film? You know, like sort of the structural um, traditional route of looking at like, here's the story we're gonna tell about how they made it. I was really like, where did you feel it? In all these hours of footage that we collected in all these interviews that we shot, where did you feel it? And then from there, of course, you have to find structure and figure that out. But I think like, I think in the future, I'm going to look for sparkle every time because I think it just like, it's a different way to construct a doc that, that drives you towards the things that, that make people feel something and make people respond. One question I had was your film chronicles the production of this film during the pandemic and how did you see the team sort of maintaining the sense of camaraderie and teamwork um, while working mm. remotely? I, I feel like that's so crucial to any creative project to be able to sort of to jazz ideas together. And how, how are they able to pull that off remotely? You know, it's interesting. So they did several things. One of them was they had, they had this and Danielle's kind of doing it in the middle. We actually had to cut out the explanation of it, but they have this thing called the power panda poofs. Um, which were like these awards they started doing because they were like, you know, normally like when we have a review or something, you get to walk through and get recognition for your work. But um, a lot of the work's hidden now and there's people who might not be seen. And it also was just this weird chance to like introduce the whole crew. Cause there's like maybe 400, 300, 400 people who work on it. So once a week they would do these awards which were like power panda poof, some like amazing thing that someone from a department had done. And like the ones I recorded, like literally they were so, they were like, he made a rig out of repurposing a former rig from another. I mean, it was like this very technical thing that saved somebody's butt. And it was, um, 
you know, it was just so funny because like I was like, wow, we're gonna have to spend a lot of time explaining <laughs> what this even what this even is that this guy did because I didn't understand it. But I think that was huge that they recognized and celebrated each other. There's also, and I've heard this from people all over the studio, that the remote reviews, because um, they just, more people would get invited to the reviews. So you wouldn't necessarily be there to show your work or to talk to the director. But if it was somehow related to your job, um, more people would be in those rooms just listening. And I think for people all over the studio, they felt really engaged in this film in this very specific way where they could be doing you know a lot of technical directors or artists or um probably not editors because it's harder to listen to something when you're editing but when you're doing something that's like a visual art they would just sit in the review and listen to it and look on but be able to do their work and sort of be in the making of the movie more than they might be able to at the studio where you'd have to leave your desk to go to see a review and so if you're not needed you're like oh i have to choose you know which one to go to so that was huge and then really I mean Pixar's playful and like like their Christmas that guy I don't know if you saw there's one point where Domi's listening to a guy play it's not Jingle Bells I, I can't remember what song it is on the trumpet he is amazing and like people would just kind of throw fun stuff into the zoom meetings and have celebrations in zoom that were this is something that Pixar always does and I think it's wonderful like there are many multi-talented people at the studio and they lend their non-professional talents to, you know, like bake. I mean, there's bake sales. There's just like weird things that happen at Pixar. There's like sculpture things, there's classes. And I think people found a way to adapt the um, remote work to open up a door for that too. Um, so yeah, that's, Sorry, long-winded response, but <laughs> just sort of finding a way to work the, the culture back in, even while working remotely. And yeah, you know, it's totally, it sound, totally. It sounds like, you know, because people were able to continue working while sitting in on sessions that they might have been constantly steeped in just the the themes and ideas yeah. and, and the work of the film. Yes, that's a great point. I really think that is true. And you know, like and just in the director's vision and the other artists add on, I think it's always like, you know, be animation is such an additive, like layered act that sometimes like you might not be making the, the, you might not be in the department that you're even in the review with, but just seeing how awesome that like next step is or the step before you, like how much, how many different things they tried to land on the thing that they are giving you. Like, I feel like that always turns an artist on, like to feel like, oh, you did that well, I'm going to throw in even more, you know, and just sort of make it even more extraordinary. So, yeah. 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 It's, it's a very well done film. And I was speaking with a critic earlier and um, I honestly think turning red is in my top three of all the Pixar films ever made. Oh, hands down. Was, that's great. Just that's so a, cool to hear. <laughs> a very enjoyable watch. Um, my last question, your film mm -hmm. is dedicated uh to someone named Shannon Ryan Nicosia. Is, is that uh, how you say name? I, I think it's Nicosia. Yeah. Nicosia. Um, for the listeners at home, who, who is Shannon? And, and, and Oh, thanks for asking. Shannon was a member of our marketing department and um, she died during the making of Turning Red. And she's a good friend of my, many of us in the studio, including Lindsay. Um, 
And I just, I think, you know, we had always wanted to dedicate it to her because she is one of those people. She's a, a divorced mom of three kids um, who also like came to work every day with like such playful passion, excitement, joy. And then she would go home and give that to her kids. And she sort of exemplified the core of this movie to us, uh, uh, particularly oh. Embrace the Panda. Like this idea that it's about like mothers and daughters and, you know, people balancing work and home and Shannon had cancer. And for like the last couple of years of her life, that was another thing that she balanced. And she did it with such like, I I don't want to say bravery against cancer. I mean, bravery and vulnerability. She was so open with her process to whoever needed to connect to it. And she kept us just wonderfully engaged and I just feel like she's one of those moms who I'm like I admire your momness so much and your daughterness she was a wonderful daughter her dad was just so great and then she was just a brilliant colleague so you know to have this chance to kind of lay her name upon it and say like we love you forever (laughs) you know like that that was a big deal so thank you for asking she's amazing well you know as a marketing professional I uh, oh. I appreciate that you recognize uh, oh, yeah. a fellow from my industry. Yeah, that, that's wonderful. And that, yeah. that is very touching. Oh. Well, Erica, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time. I, I know that you guys are very busy, probably making the next project, but um, <laughs> thank you for talking with me about this film and, and congratulations on, on this documentary. Mm-hmm. I really thought it stood out as, you know, it, it, again, it just... It's not only something that I recognized, but my kid enjoyed watching it as well. And and my kid almost never watches anything live action, so, <laughs> let alone Yay! documentaries. So yeah, you, you, you've got both of us on this one. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Joe. It was really great talking to you and I look forward to what you make next. All right, folks, thanks so much for listening. And, uh, you know, it's funny, as I was recording this uh, quick outro, I got a chime on my phone. It's a message from our sound engineer, Eddie Garcia, letting me know that um, he's making a lot of headway on the episode that's going to be coming our way soon. So uh, stay tuned for that. And uh, thank you again for listening. And and thanks to those of you who uh, understood the delay. I apologize again, but thank you. Bye.